0: good morning everyone when Melissa asked me last month if I'd be willing to share about what it means to me to be Mennonite for Anabaptist Sunday I immediately figured that this would be an easy no-brainer assignment for me there's the hymns the community the family the quilts the nuts, the widely competitive Dutch blitz games that almost tore me and my cousins apart as children the hyper focus on price per ounce, on grocery store labels, and the Mennonite game where I can normally find someone who knows some Kanegi or Yake in any given Mennonite context. It's funny how in thinking about being Mennonite though, the God part of it is never in the top five of my list and rarely in the part of my Mennonite identity that I'll willingly talk about. For the majority of my life and all of my childhood, I was convinced that it was physically impossible for me to believe in any God, despite how badly I wanted, to, I wanted to, and how comforting of an idea I thought it could be to have someone with me through everything. I remember having friends who knew their God and loved or feared their God or gods, and just feeling so disconnected and unable to get myself to the point of actually believing. The main turning point for me came when learning about cycles of violence and trauma when reading the book, The Body Keeps the Score. While many in my family were pacifists, I never understood how leaving systems of power unaddressed could be the right answer when there seemed to be no other option but to physically fight back. When I first started learning about trauma though and the cycles of violence, I realized the way in which war war and violence beget further violence and the ways it seeps and spreads throughout the world. There is no way to participate in violence, even if for some greater good, without traumatizing yourself and others and inviting violence to spread through your life. Since this realization, I found myself reaching to the God I believe in and feeling her and being able to see her as she has been with me through my life. One of my favorite books, The Brothers K, talks about how the kingdom of heaven is within us And how it is mountain range and rivers and forests and deep lakes where when we are zapped by pain and violence, we have the choice to carry the bad energy and the fire of the violence with us to our lakes and extinguish them without further spreading pain through the world. Since the beginning of high school, when I read this book, I have found myself turning to my own mountains and lakes and learning to put out the fires. For me, as someone who had an exceptionally traumatic upbringing in childhood and have been hit with a ridiculous number of fires, this framework has changed my life and the way I impact the world around me and has, unbeknownst to me at the time, taught me to lean on God and let her help me guide me to the water to let the fire dissipate. Pacifism and the goal to follow in Jesus's footsteps to heal communities and pre- prevent the further spread of violence have undebatably become what anabaptism and being Mennonite means to me. And a big part of that is challenging harmful structures of power in ways that don't further perpetuate harm. For me, remembering my baptism and choosing to follow God every day is an active choice. And I am sustained to do so by this community and group of people. Raleigh Mennonite has only helped me deepen my lakes and nourish my forests, and has helped me live into the values that I hold so closely. Being Mennonite to me will never stop being hymns, Dutch Blitz tournaments, and community. But as I grow into myself as a Mennonite, I have realized the ways in which these things nourish the kingdom of heaven that I found within myself and are rooted in the God I believe in.
1: I'm John Fry, and uh, while I'm introducing myself, if you would go ahead and put that first slide up here, uh, I introduced this slide as to. Uh, I ran across this uh, about a month ago and uh, have been contemplating what this means. And then it seemed like it fit in very well with uh, uh, being asked to speak today. Uh, I was brought up in the Methodist church. And uh, if I had gone home after college, I would have probably gone back to the Methodist church but as I was uh, did not go home after college, I stayed here in Raleigh, where uh, I've been since uh, somewhere around the mid-70s in my college days and then professional days. I uh, ended up joining a Baptist church and spent most of my adult life as a, as a Baptist, and that's where I met the young lady who would then become my wife, Luce, there in the Baptist church. And I uh, So I only come to be a Mennonite because of part of the story I'm going to tell you. And some of you that have been uh, in here for a while have heard most of this story. So I hope it's not boring to you. But in its own way, the story does start to focus on these questions. Uh, The first question, where am I going? I don't know that I've ever been able to fully answer this question. As I have gone through life, I've let the winds and... Storms, the calm periods push me and pull me and take me where they were going. I didn't necessarily look for a lot of uh, purpose. Uh, most luckily, most of what has happened to me in my life has been good. There's been a few things along the way that uh, have been stressful, disappointing, uh, that I would say it would be have been bad for me, but most of it has been good. Good parents, good family, good neighbors, good job, uh, most mostly good. But again, very little of my life have I chosen to answer this first question. And as for the second question, again, most of it has been chosen for me, as probably most of it has been chosen for you. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose the neighborhood you grew up in. You didn't choose the school you went to. And then even as you move to college or into a profession, you again maybe have been pushed one way or another by family or friends or, you know, gosh, so-and-so is going to go to this college when you graduate from high school. You know, that sounds like a good place to go. Why don't I decide to go there? Things, Things like this. And so, again, there were choices, but then how much of those choices did I put deep thought into, and how did I go about making those decisions and what influenced me? And I say this as when we look at this question, where am I going? Who will I go with? Or who will go with me? Even when we get married, do we ask these kinds of questions to know that we're compatible for our life and for the direction we want to go and what we see as our own hopes and dreams for our future? And again, uh, even though I've had a wonderful marriage to Luce and look forward to many more wonderful years, were these the questions that we asked? I think, according to this quote, that I have always been in trouble. <laughs> Go ahead and put the second slide up, please. As there were things about the Baptist church that Luce and I became somewhat disappointed in, that we decided to look for a new church this search for the new church took us about a year and a half. And part of this search, uh, we ran into another couple from the same Baptist church that was looking for a church. They had children, and so they were looking at children's programs. And to analyze the children's programs, they decided that they would stay at a at a church for a few weeks or maybe a couple of months at a time to decide whether that was a good place for them as adults, as well as children. Well, we hadn't focused on it like that at all. We were just church hopping. And uh, as we had visited RMC once or twice, the Advent season was coming and uh, we decided, well, we've been a part of a big church. I mean, my home church, home Methodist church is a really big church and the Baptist church was a big church. And so we decided we would go for the small church experience and come to Raleigh Mennonite Church for Advent. So starting there around Thanksgiving, uh, we, we, we spent uh, Advent with Raleigh Mennonite Church. And as we came to Christmas Eve, Luce asked a uh, young friend of ours as to whether she'd like to go to church with us that Sunday. Some of you may remember Julie. Uh, go to the church with us on Christmas Eve. And if I remember this year was Christmas Eve was Friday, Christmas Day was on Saturday, and we had church again on the 26th. And Julie said, yes, I'd like to go to Christmas Eve service with you. So she did. After Christmas Eve service, we were taking her home as we were in the other building way back then. She only lived right down the street on Poplar Street there. And uh, so Lou said, well, would you like to go to church with us on Sunday? She said, yes, she would. And she started coming to church with us. And so she started coming to church with us so we couldn't leave, we couldn't continue our visiting other places because we have this visitor coming to church with us. And as I don't remember what was taking place in Sunday school class at that time because she was coming to Sunday school with us. But when that study came to an end, She turned to Luce and I and she said, would you teach me about Jesus and about the Bible? And because she just seemed to be fitting in well, we had no idea that she had really never spent time in church in her life. Well, just because of Luce and Mines history, and because we taught ESL to Chinese and other people coming to the United States that were not ingrained in Christianity, and because we did teach ESL at the Baptist Church, we were somewhat prepared to do this. It was, you know, sort of, you know, just the hand fit the glove at the moment, but we were part of. We we weren't even members of the church. We were visitors. And so we went to Duane and we said, what do we do? And Dwayne said, uh, pick a classroom and start teaching. It was that simple. Dwayne trusted Luce and I to do what was right. And so my talk begins after the questions with trust that, uh, From uh, When we look around at our congregation and we see how our congregation functions, we trusted Dwayne as our pastor at that time. We, We trusted the search committee that went out to find a new pastor, and we found Melissa, and now we trust Melissa. But every Sunday, we trust people like David and Hans to come up here and lead our worship services most of our other worship leaders are actually off at a retreat this weekend. We miss having them here, certainly. But we trust the AV team to get the slides up, to make the sound good, to get to help the people out on Zoom to know what's going on here. Uh, and, and various things like uh, the Stewardship Commission. And again, David Rohrer as our treasurer, how much trust Tremendous amount of trust that we put in him. We put trust in Rachel for raising our children in their Christianity and in their spiritual lives. And we came from big churches that had lots of committees and lots of people that you had to get approvals from to do the simplest things. And Dwayne said, pick a classroom and start teaching. Let's go to the next slide. A week or two after we started Teaching Julie uh, that uh, we realized that you know we're 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 visitors. We don't know anything about being Mennonite. Uh, actually, Luce grew up in the Catholic Church uh, when I grew up in the Methodist Church, we met in the Baptist Church, but Mennonites, no <laughs> didn't really even know what Mennonites were until we 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 started coming and finding out more. and but we went to Duane and we said,, uh, Dwayne. What's different? What do we, what, what do we grab a hold of that we can learn quickly and teach Julie about quickly that's different from what we've done in our past? And he comes back again with a simple answer: community. It's about how the community functions. It's about how the community works together. And he went on to talk about how Jesus almost never speaks to an individual. He's always speaking to a group. There's maybe two or three exceptions, certainly the woman at the well. But he's constantly challenging the disciples and others to see and find a better way. And from what we see in the early books of Acts, early uh, chapters of Acts, is that it is the community. They come together. They take care of one another. They support one another. And how important it is for us to be part of community through the trust that was placed in Luce and me, and through the trust you have placed in, in us, we taught that class for three to four years. Julie didn't stay with us very long; she decided to move back to, to upstate New York. Uh, but then there were others in our in our group that wanted t- the same teaching, and so we had a series of people that that came through that class over over the next few years. And then along the way, Luce and I started to get integrated. We actually became members of the church as we go through that po- process on a yearly basis. And I started doing AV and greeting, playing playing music, uh, and have taught other Sunday school classes. Luce and I became part of your community. As I say, we came from different backgrounds. We're not uh, ethnic Mennonites or uh as, as, as many are, and as we know, this church is made up of a lot of people who have come to the to this Mennonite church from different places. The, the back, my background is certainly more uh, conservative than what we see taking place here at Raleigh Mennonite Church. I have no idea how that compares with other Mennonite churches though, as we do have some Mennonite visitors from Pennsylvania with us today, and uh, I don't know that experience. Uh, But uh, we're glad to have you with us today. You're always welcome. But you ended up welcoming us. And similarly, I have seen you welcome others. And without questioning where they were coming from, who they were, so many things that we we see other churches maybe wanting to be concerned about this or that. You have loved the people that have come through our doors, as well as loving Luce and me, and in a way that I greatly appreciate. And I thank you for that. You are a community. Let's go to the next slide. So in, in Melissa's call to Karina and Christina and, and me to do this, she said, well, maybe you can find a verse in the Bible that you can focus on. And, and there's so many verses in the Bible that are good to focus on. And when I think of this church, I often think of the, the, the words out of Matthew 26, where, where Jesus says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed, clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me, and I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Great words. Thank you for being that. But yet I wanted to focus back on the book of John, part of my favorite part, not just because of the title of the book, <laughs> but one of my favorite parts of the Bible are those uh, three or four chapters there at the end of the book of John, which I is not referred to in this, this way, but Jesus's soliloquy at the Last Supper. And particularly in, in chapter 17, in verses 20 through 26, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through the message that all of them may be one. Unity. Father, just as you and are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent them, sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may. Be one as we are one, I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory for the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and I myself may be in them. And I want to flip back to John 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As my sharing comes to an end, I do not know that I've had an answer for the second question. For the first question. (laughs) But to the second question, you are community, you are our community, you are our Mennonite community. And if you'll bring up the last slide, I'll leave you with these thoughts as we transition to the next step of our service. Thank you.
2: Good morning. It's good to be with you all again. Thank you to John and Karina for sharing your stories already. Similar to Karina, um, I also grew up in the Mennonite Church. And so what it means to be Mennonite feels like a very complicated question to answer it's tied up with so many things for me, not only church and faith, but also different parts of my identity, like my family um, and my personal identity. My family is Mennonite going way back. Uh, Both sides of my family can trace our roots to the Swiss German Mennonites in Europe who came and settled on this continent in what came to be Pennsylvania, early in American colonization and a lot of my family still lives there and is still connected to Mennonite churches or other Anabaptist affiliated churches. I grew up in a congregation that is was in the well is in the Lancaster conference and but we were about an hour outside of Lancaster so not quite in like that kind of bubble of Pennsylvania. After high school, I participated in the Service Adventure program right here at Raleigh Mennonite Church, well, at the old house, but um And, which is a year-long service program um, connected with the Mennonite Mission Network. And I went to, after that, I went to Mennonite colleges, worked at Mennonite camps, interned at Mennonite churches. So I spent a lot of time in this Mennonite bubble. And I think after all of that time, I kind of felt that Mennonites kind of had it all figured out. That we really knew the best way to do it that we followed Jesus better than anyone else. I don't think I would have said it in so many words, but I think that was kind of the idea that I had. But for, two, for about two and a half years now, I've been studying at Duke Divinity School, and I am seeing so many varieties of ways that people express their faith in Jesus throughout history and today, all over the world, or in today's, in our local context. So over these past two and a half years, I've really been reflecting on this question. What does it mean to be a Are What ways are we different than other expressions of faith? What ways are we similar? And so there's probably a lot of different ways that I could answer this question. But there is one kind of theme that has come up recently and consistently, which we'll share with you. When I was home for the holidays, I was talking with my grandfather and he was telling me about what it meant to be Mennonite for him growing up in like the forties, fifties. He said that the words that he heard all the time were non-resistance and non-conformity. He told me how non-conformity meant things like missing out on elementary school trips to the movie theater. And as he got older, wearing a plain suit without a collar. At that time, non-resistance meant things like going into mission service work instead of fighting in World War II for his older brothers, or for him not bringing in tin cans to school drives to support the war effort. By the time I came around though, my family became part of the movement in the Mennonite church away from such strict rules about dress and non-conformity. I grew up in a church where we could wear what we wanted to a certain extent and could go to the movie theater. I remember a t-shirt that we had in my youth group that said, this is what a Mennonite looks like, and on the back it said, you were expecting a horse and buggy, cape dress, a prayer covering, all these things. But even with some of these rules, bending and um, other rules still felt rigid. Things like not drinking alcohol or wearing immodest clothing, even if more modern clothing was allowed. And as a child, these things didn't bother me so much as I wasn't really inclined to break these rules anyway, but as I grew into an adulthood, these rules felt more restrictive as I searched for what it meant to be a person of faith in this world today. What is it that Jesus really cares about? Do these things really affect my salvation? Are those even the right, or is that even the right question to be asking? Like John said, Melissa invited us to reflect on a um, scripture that is essential to amenity and identity. Coincidentally enough, or maybe not, Matthew 25 was the same scripture that came to mind for me. I think this scripture looms large in my memory as about as close to an instruction guide as we could get as followers of Jesus to serve the world around us. And I think it makes it sound rather simple. You see someone who is hungry and you feed them. But then my mind turns to the arguments you hear about giving food to people is just a band-aid fix and that we need to do structural change, or my mind thinks of all the people around me who I just cannot or I don't give food to, on top of all of the other sick or imprisoned or unclothed folks that the scripture talks about. And I begin to feel guilty and frozen by my fear at being a terrible follower of Jesus. One thing I have been reflecting on from my Mennonite background is somehow I have picked up this sense that God has a very specific way for us to live and that we just need to find the right way to live it, to just find the right rule book, to check off the right boxes. For my grandfather, that might've been things like non-conformity and non-resistance. In my childhood, it meant things like dressing modestly and being an upstanding kid. As a young adult, it's things like following Matthew 25 to the T. Eventually, I feel like all of these rules, however good intentioned they may be, are a heavy weight to carry, and I'm only recently realizing how often I feel crushed by these high expectations of trying to be like Jesus and often find myself wanting to give up on a life of faith. And I do think that these things can be good. I'm not trying to say Matthew, we shouldn't follow Matthew 25. And I actually really appreciate, John, how you talked about this is like addressed to the community. It's not meant to be something we're supposed to take on by ourselves. And I really appreciate how uh, and really proud of how places like Raleigh Mennonite or um, people talk about the Mennonite Disaster Service, the Mennonites, along with the Methodists, are some of the first ones to show up and the last ones to leave. And all of the great relief and development work that Mennonite Central Committee is doing all over the world. And I don't mean to denigrate or say any of that work is not great. But I think that I have realized now that the crushing weight of expectations does not feel like the best way. Somewhere along the way, I have lost the sense of grace and love that I believe is needed to support and sustain a flourishing life of faith. I loved how you said it, Karina, those uh, rivers and lakes and mountains that sustain us. So, right now, being a Mennonite for me means letting go a little bit of those rules and checklists of gritting my teeth and trying so hard to be the best Christian I can be, the best Mennonite I can be, and to let go and trust in the grace and love of God and of the community walking together with all, walking all together.
1: Thank you.